1: Hello and welcome to a brand new season of Don't Quote Me. I'm your host Orla Condon and this week I'm joined by podcaster Keen Sullivan who many of you will know from his work on City That Pod but also from regular appearances on my bottom paper. Coming up on today's show, Love is Blind faces fresh criticism as new season comes to an end. Coachella ended this weekend but has its influence on all aspects of pop culture ended too. And Drew Barrymore has become the darling of daytime TV, and for good reason, and we're going to discuss. In other news, we're talking about how Married at First Sight Australia is delivering another amazing season, and why Kean is obsessed with Netflix's beef. It's a must-watch, absolutely. Let's get stuck in. Okay, we're back for season two, a little bit later than I expected, but here we are, and joining me, Kean Sullivan. A regular voice in my pot and paper's listeners ears, that felt more of a soft sentence in my mind and came out quite clunky. How are you?
2: Good, good. Happy to be back, be chatting about these uh, these erratic Americans who are looking for love <laughs> uh, and other things. And yeah, just keep keeping busy, keeping, yeah, keeping my eye on on um, pop culture as always.
1: Very busy season for you in the last couple of months with Drag Race, another season coming to an end. What are we at now? I mean, what, how many seasons has Sissy that pod covered?
2: What a brilliant question. <laughs> I <laughs> think I'm near, if not north of 20.
1: Wow. 20 mm-hmm. seasons mm-hmm. of Drag Race. That's mm-hmm. that's insane. That's mm-hmm. insane. How are you finding it now after finishing another series? Are you feeling a bit fatigued? Was it... I? From all the reports I saw as not a very active viewer. It was a good series.
2: It was a good season. So I guess I guess there's multiple things going on. I do six step pod, the drag Race reaction podcast. I'm now doing it on my own. my My uh, work husband has, um, you know, gone for gone for <laughs> further ventures somewhere else. He's hanging out with the woman next door and <laughs> going back to college. <laughs> Um, so I'm trying to find a new way of doing it, laying it myself. Um, but yes, season 15 was kind of different because I had a new co-host that I, you know, which so kind of felt new and fresh to me. The season itself was good, but they moved it to a new home on MTV. Yeah. So that it was only 40 minutes long, but it wasn't filmed to be 40 minutes. It was filmed to be an hour plus. So there was these drag queens who had spent tens of thousands of dollars on their looks and when it came to them being shown on the TV show, they were like six seconds. No. Like I think at times I, I counted an average of like seven to eight seconds per drag queen on the runway. Stop. And like, you know, there's, cha- there's really iconic challenges like Snatch Game in which, you know, the queens have to do impersonations of people. And they had done this. They decided to really early in the season so that there was like 14 people doing it. And like ideally it would take whatever 20 minutes of the airtime, but again, then then they could have done 40 minutes and end up being like 10 minutes. So it was just, things were just really crammed in and yeah. you didn't really get to know the contestants as well as you normally would. Um, yeah. Then maybe like eight episodes into the season, they reverted back to an hour long episodes when we kind of lost half the cast and we oh probably God. didn't even need it. So all that being said, they were a very talented bunch of Queens Um. Some really fun challenges, but I think the actual production of it messed it up.
1: Yeah. And isn't it so interesting as well? Like, obviously, we've spoken a lot about like reality TV production on our various podcasts. We're talking a little bit about it again on this episode. But like. It is impossible to overstate the importance of the network, the importance of the production team working on these shows and how it impacts the general look and feel and like. Even recently seeing the news of, I mean, we discussed it on my bottom paper about Love Island getting an all-star series Mm -hmm. and we were quite excited. It's now been confirmed that it's going to Peacock, the streaming service in the US, which just paints a totally different picture of what I imagined the all-star season would be because Mm -hmm. that comes with a look and a feel and a limit for what's okay and what's not and all of that stuff that's packaged up with a network's identity. And that's another great example of, of them not, potentially not maybe understanding the value of because I presume for something like Snatch Game everyone probably got like what one punchline like probably just got like one little moment to be like their character rather than to actually have like a scene
2: yeah unless you were one of the better ones you got maybe three or four moments rather than like a full opportunity to show off your drag yeah so which was you know disappointing and because if it's going to be on Peacock does that mean it's going to be the US Love Island team that are producing it do you know
1: So it's going to be cast members from the US, UK and Australia all Mm -hmm. combined, but I'm not sure about who's, I would imagine so given Love Island um, US is also hosted on Peacock. Um, I think there's going to be pluses and minuses to it. It's definitely got me a little bit more interested because I think it's going to be somewhat of a different format to what we, the everyday Mm -hmm. ITV viewer is used to. Um, I'm also very curious. I mean, I watch a lot of Housewives content, Bravo content on Peacock, where Drinking limitations don't seem to be in place. The mm-hmm. same kinds of duty of care structures don't seem to be in place. So it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of pick up that that weight of responsibility from the u k. show, try and incorporate it into their streaming service, but also still create something that fits the peacock brand, which love island u k would not really at no. the minute. And um, so I, I believe
2: that they have to do challenges every day or something like that to like stay on the island. Well, I saw something,
1: love. I saw something about that as well, which again, I mean, we discussed, I'm not sure if me and you discussed this in my bottom mm. paper, but I definitely discussed it throughout the series that stuff like that is what we want to see, right? Like that's kind of a change in the structure that adds more jeopardy without messing with people's minds. Like, it's mm. just like you lose the game, like you're in danger, like that, them's the breaks. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I think they're looking at like a October, November release. Um, which will mean we'll if for everyone who's watched all three will have had three seasons of Love Island in one year. Which, I mean, there's got to be there's no got to be oversaturation. I point. feel your
2: pain. <laughs> <laughs> I have a minimum of three, and then I do all the international yeah. franchises as well. And my bones. like Steve, so, if yeah. the
1: queens can do it, so can we. I'm yeah, like, oh 100%. gosh.
2: But like, it kind of sounds like doing an American reality show, the challenge. I've never watched it, but it just seems to be hot people yeah. from other reality shows in a fear factor style format that's kind of the vibe i was getting off this love island thing i'm not sure if i love it what you're saying about like challenges that actually affect the outcome of the villa all up for that yeah like if this is you know Georgia Steel, like, sort of zip lining. I don't know care if I care about that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I want it to fit the vibe. Like, I don't want them to be like, oh, they have to, like, survivor style. have to stand out in a plank of wood in the ocean for hours on end. Yeah. Let's see your last slug. No, don't want that. I imagine Olivia
2: eating witchy grubs. That sort of like vibe.
1: <laughs> yeah. I imagine they're going to find a look and feel that works for okay. the brand. <clears throat> I mean, I know as much as the next guy. I've just seen the reports on various um, entertainment websites, but it definitely has me intrigued. I just think mm-hmm. a third ITV production in one year would be a lot. At least this looks like it's going to be something quite different. Right, well, our first story this week that we're diving into is going to be going to an interesting one to talk to you about, Kian, because you are mm-hmm. not a fan nor a viewer of the show For reasons we'll get into, Mm -hmm. but there has been a lot of controversy this week for many different reasons about Love is Blind, the new season that just finished, um, the reunion that was an absolute mess, the host, the production, the, you know, duty of care towards contestants. It's in a whole lot of hot water this week. And I don't think anyone expected it to kind of spiral and kind of gather momentum as much as it has. First, Leakian, you do not like this type of reality TV show. Would you like to explain why?
2: So <clears throat> I watched season one of Love is Blind mm-hmm. in the lockdown. Um, and I I couldn't watch episode two. I just, I just couldn't bring myself to watch them get engaged to people they hadn't seen. And there's something about people getting married in a way that I deem reckless that just... Annoys me. I'm just like, mm. why? I don't. I just don't understand. It gives me sort of like an anxiety and a, a level of annoyance that I'm like, you don't need to make these decisions now. Take your time. And I'm like, on one side, I'm like, this is literally none of your business. Why are you getting so emotionally invested? Let people live their lives the way they are, they want to. Yeah. But it's just, it's some sort of quirk. I've spoken about it in therapy. I still haven't got to the bottom <laughs> of it. People have said to me, oh, is because you know, as a queer person, you've had to fight for the right to be married. And you know, here's some straight people. You know, basically, yeah. taking this out of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Frivol- you yeah, know, um, but I think I'd still be annoyed if it was the same sex couple. Like, there's married the at first sight same sex couples, mm. and the idea still annoys me. So I don't know what it is of just. And uh, um, who who is it? Oh, you went um, in the first season. He went by a second name. He was like Matthew something. Uh, he ended up with a small girl with brown hair, and I think. Oh
1: yes, no, they broke up. I think, but oh, I know. They? I think I know the couple. Of years. I oh, if but she had right like one.
2: crippling uh, debt, <laughs> and he married her anyway, and that set me into a tailspin. I was like, "How could you marry somebody without knowing their, like their their financial situation?" It's just like yeah. I just I find it so stressful and annoying.
1: Yes, I remember it's the main two are Amber and Barnett, them two, wasn't it? But yes,
2: Amber and Barnett. Yeah, exactly. That I just I found I just couldn't get to, So I watched. So I, I, I skipped episode two because I couldn't deal with them, uh, you know, getting proposals, engaged. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't mind then after that, when there was just a couple's kind of, you know, finding their feet and going and, you know, meeting the pairs. I didn't really mind that watching Jessica feed her dog wine. Like I didn't I didn't mind that. <laughs> of it, But when season two came around, I said, you know, I'm not going to put myself through yeah. the unnecessary annoyance. There's plenty of reality TV that I shouldn't be watching. I'll watch that instead.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> I find love is blind. I find love is blind. <sighs> it falls into the kind of selling sunset category of of reality TV for me Mm. with regards to like entertainment. Do I think it's one of the best reality TV shows that's on? Absolutely not. Like absolutely not. There is something about Netflix reality TV that just never scratches the itch for me. It just never hits the mark as well as so many other amazing franchises do. Mm -hmm. But Love is Blind is such a buzzy show. There's always discussions around it. So I always just watch it. And same for Selling stuff, that I always just watch it to make sure that like, I know what people are talking about. And like, if, if there is a big story, I kind of understand what's going on. But it is very much a second screen kind of viewing for me. Like, I'm not bet into it. I'm not, it's not hooking me in. You know, when you get through that, the three episodes and you have to wait a week, I'm not gutted that I have to wait a week. It's like, mm-hmm. it's fine. Um, But the show never disappointed me as much as it did for this season's reunion that just passed. Netflix had been hyping this for a couple of weeks that it was gonna be their first live event on the platform. That it was gonna be a live reunion with live reactions from a live audience with all of the favorite quote unquote um, couples and participants there um and then as we were waking up i think on monday morning you you were seeing the kind of the fallout in the us overnight that there was major issues getting the live stream going that they were massively delayed and it, uh, eventually they had to abandon abandon the live stream and record what they had done and then release it i think it was like over 24 hours later it was released on netflix here um so it was really really embarrassing it was a big mess up and then when the the reunion came out and people started watching it It was like, oh my God, all of this for this, because it was just, and I know, obviously you're not a huge fan, but you are a fan of reality TV who has sat Mm. through numerous reunions on numerous different shows. This was by far one of the worst reunions. And I've sat through many a Love Island reunion where in early years when they had no fucking clue what they were doing, this was awful.
2: So I guess for the listener, I have seen this. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch the season, I only watched the, the reunion ahead of this conversation. So if people are listening and they haven't seen it either, I'll probably have some questions that she can add context to as well. Um, I mean, it's hard for me to gauge whether it was good or not because I don't know how much information had been rehashed because it was all new to me. Yeah. I in this particular scenario, I was kind of hoping for more throwbacks to the actual season <laughs> yeah. to know what was actually <laughs> happening. <laughs> um but my, my biggest take takeaway was that the fandom seems to be a toxic pit. Like they seem to yeah. be like you'd be like, you know, oh, let's just confirm. Um, is it no Kwame, you know, that your sister is actually your sister and your mom isn't a paid actress. And I was like, what sort of shenanigans yeah. was going on online during this season?
1: Oh my god. And they kept referencing it, right? Like Nick and Vanessa Lachey, the host kept referencing. Social media. A couple of times they called it the fourth wall, and I was like, "What the fuck?" That doesn't make.
2: That's not the fourth (laughs) wall. What are these two
1: like? Seriously, come on.
2: I like Uh, Vanessa though, and I think I think.
1: Are you (laughs) joking? She was the controversy. She was literally the lightning rod. How did you like her? Oh my god, this is so interesting because I obviously watched the series and was fuming with her, but you liked her.
2: I like her in that I. I like her that she's better than fucking Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I guess when when the the we so I watched the ultimatum because that's fine. That's couples yeah. who are actually together and they're having a a, a quabble. I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, so I watched that. I see them in that, and I you know I don't think they're the best presenters, but I kind of appreciate they're presenting it as a couple mm. and that they're willing to sort of open up their relationship kind of somewhat not really in it but I guess I was just thinking like I think she she did a relatively good job being like hey guys I'm sorry we're not live you know like address dress straight away I think she's somewhat warm in her delivery and I guess it's maybe it's just because you have ice you know wooden S- uh, scarecrow of Nick Lachey beside her That she seems so exuberant But like she's also a TV presenter Like she presented TRL And like she was yeah. in one of those NCIS as well So it makes sense that she's better at this than he is But I think I'm, I was just more reassessing my opinion Because when I first heard of her I was like who the fuck is Vanessa Lachey <laughs> And now I obviously know more about her And I was like "Joe, she's actually not too bad at this
1: Okay so when the series first started I remember her and Nick were very much Like ever present in the show Like it felt mm-hmm. like they're They're sharing about their experiences as a couple, difficulties they faced, all that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, they even referenced Jessica Simpson and Nick Shea coming out of that marriage and how they handled all all of that. Mm. And it felt very relevant because they were kind of, like I said, ever present throughout the series. Whereas and even I think Vanessa referenced it in this reunion that they are not as present anymore. So then when they come in at the reunion and she's like, oh, come here, me and my man and me and our babies. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no one cares. You're not here. Like we have not paid you attention for weeks. We don't care about how how this relates to your life. Yes, if you're using that in a way to like leverage them to kind of talk a little bit more, if Mm -hmm. you're using it as like a prod to be like, I'll open up so hopefully you'll open up Grant. but it just felt like so self-indulgent from her and then there was a lot of backlash about how many times and I'm curious if you noticed this how many times you know love is blind babies were mentioned her kind of harping on constantly about whether couples were trying or whether they were pregnant or what the plan was which again like even when Love is Blind started, mightn't have sounded that jarring, which was only about mm. two and a half, three years ago. But already, like how much just kind of pop culture has changed and how much our willingness to listen to that kind of question, our sensitivity around those kinds of questions has changed. It came off really bad and people were really annoyed about it. And there was a lot of criticism for her harping on the baby question, as people were calling it on Twitter um well so like I,
2: thought- I, I I I was like that, no, that kind of got my back over the baby question but I was kind of like probably fans of the show will not find it annoying it's just me being my cynical self yeah. uh, but like I was like we want to love a like blind baby And then it cuts to your man from season three who has a baby who I assume is not with somebody from Love is Blind. Yeah. Like, is that that kid not allowed? Is, you know, sent to a Love is Blind orphanage because (laughs) both parents aren't (laughs) from Love is Blind. Like, I don't understand. But like, in the same way, you know, I know how the heterosexual uh you know trajectory of life goes and it's like the bride is just <laughs> down at breakfast the day after a wedding and the mom-in-law is like so you had to get a kids like so that is a real thing and I guess it's no surprise that this wears its ugly head in this show
1: yeah I think I think as much as people want this to be like a really fresh modern reality tv show and and sit in the space alongside things like Married at First Sight it is American, American produced. So think The Bachelor and Bachelorette kind Mm. of vibe. And it's also Netflix. So it's going to be that extra level of, it just always feels watered down. I just never feel like I'm getting like really Mm. good reality TV drama. Um, And there's also been other criticism this week, not just of the reunion, but a lot of stuff that has resurfaced. We actually discussed this last series on Don't Quote Me um, and it's come up again. Last year, we discussed about a contestant on the second series who sued Netflix over an alleged breach of labor laws um, and said the producers encouraged the cast to drink alcohol while limiting their access to food and water and underpaying them. Um, he then like he was seeking, I think, unpaid wages and compensation for like missed meals and rest periods, yeah. as well as like therapy, I think. Um, obviously, that they the production company denied all of this. But since that, um, another season two cast member, Danielle, who Manny will remember from her relationship with Nick. Uh, has alleged that after telling producers that she didn't feel mentally stable enough to continue filming the program that she was talked into staying uh, alongside her partner nick at the time she even and trigger warning here ahead of this um conversation she even recalled experiencing panic attacks and suicidal thoughts during filming and said that i kept telling them i don't trust myself i'm having these thoughts i don't think i can continue in this in, in this situation um now, producers have responded to these allegations saying that the show has rigorous protocols in place for care for the care of cast members. The well-being of our participants is of paramount importance. We have rigorous protocols in place to care for each person during before, during, and after filming. I'm very much a person like there's no smoke without fire, and mm. this feels like quite a few contestants from many different series coming forward with similar types of complaints, basically that they are not fundamentally, they're not being cared for in the way that they felt like they should have been. And I mean, we've seen this kind of stuff. I mean, not even this kind of complaints about Love Island and ITV. We've never had such kind of um, direct attacks at the show and our producers. It's never been to this extent. And we've seen even that impact on the show Mm -hmm. and how much, duty of care has become part of the terminology around Love love Island now. What do you think, how do you think a show comes back from this kind of criticism? Like, surely this is like nail in the coffin kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, but the other part of me thinks is like, this is going to be bound to happen. Like, you know, Love Island being, I guess, a, a lingua franca amongst the two of us. Be like, you know, you are, especially women, but you may as well. You are, you are aligning their self-worth with, you know, compatibility with, you know, being in a relationship. And this show is just that on steroids. And it's like the only way I'll get any sort of airtime or get any chance that love is if I find somebody in this pod and I get engaged and commit my life to them. But I don't really know. You know, it's yeah. such a stressful thing to do. And I'm sure the people who say they're in love are in love, even though I did. <laughs> Nick Lachey again. We turned to, I think it was Brett and Tiffany. So are you guys still happily married at this point? Which is like, I mean, we know they're all going to divorce at some stage, but are you happily married <laughs> Right now, right now in the <laughs> well, room. Well, Nick, would... <laughs> you don't even believe in the process. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I, like, I, I find it very hard to have a duty of care. Yeah, I just feel it's, it's juxtaposed to the idea of the show, which is, for yeah. it's a, a, quote, an experiment that's forcing people to make huge life decisions at a whim. Yeah, pay off.
1: yeah. Yeah, I agree. I just think there's something about this idea that they've all gone through, you know, this, you know, in these interviews and this testing before mm-hmm. to find kind of a group of compatible people and they have to figure out then whatever. But it's like, it's not even adding that kind of stuff to the mix as much as Married at First Sight does where they kind of talk about, you know, well, we put A and B together because they both said A, you know, one, two, three is important to them. X, Y, Z is important to them. And that is a commonality that means that we're going to think they could be a good match. Now, I don't believe that they do that with all couples. I'm absolutely eyes open to the fact that some couples are a disaster waiting to happen and they're happy to put them in an apartment and see how it Mm -hmm. goes. But Love is Blind is just a little bit more. It feels like they're all individually casted. They're all individually kind of assessed to what seems to be a fairly... Relaxed level of assessment according to other contestants yeah and then they're all put into this space where they're told yeah either you find someone or you will get potentially less airtime than someone on Snatch Game this year on RuPaul's Drag Race (laughs) like as in you literally will be like out of there you're out of there like uh, it's crazy so the pressure is then on for you to force a connection, to find something to grasp oh. to, to stay on this show that you've already given up months of time to this testing and interviewing and auditioning and all this stuff. Like, I don't know, understand how people don't see that it's doomed to fail. Like there is one successful couple that everyone loves from season one. And I'm like, yeah, but like Love Island has loads of successful couples in comparison, mm. but yet the standard that it's held to is quite different to Love is Blind. And I just find that quite interesting.
2: Can I ask about this season? There seemed to be two couples who got together that didn't get together in the pods: Zach and Bliss, and Jackie and Josh. Yes. How did they cover that in the show? Like, how did Zach and Bliss? So it seemed to be Josh and Jackie met in a coffee shop. Where how did how did Zach and Bliss meet?
1: So they all met. They all met in the pods, but they were all. They all did not pick each other in the pods to be yeah. there. Whatever. So Zach and Bliss had work kind of you know, dating in the pods and then he picked uh, Irina instead. So that ended his relationship with Bliss. And like, uh, and likewise, Jackie picked um, Marcus? Marshall. Marshall. Thank you, Kim. Picked Marshall in the pods and ditched Josh and then they came back. So basically they like, Zach wasn't happy with Irina. He went and like, kind of fought for bliss and Jackie wasn't happy, happy with Marshall and she went and pursued Josh. So that's but this is after
2: the pod, post pods.
1: Post pods. Yeah. So in post-pods. my opinion,
2: shouldn't be on the show. If you get engaged in the pods and then you break up, you're not on the show anymore. You're gone. You're gone. And then what, what blew my mind was. So I was like, so you're telling me Zach, you proposed to Irina. Didn't work out. because She's a bully. <laughs> which you can get to. Then you bump into bliss somewhere and you're like, Joe, you know, filming's wrapping up in two weeks. Let's get engaged and get married. Yeah. I was like, Are you fucking serious? Yeah. Like whenever about I've I've agreed to this thing, I'll get married because I signed up to it. You know, let's just embrace the experiment. Why would you subsequently do it afterwards? Like at least with Josh and Jackie, they were like, We're just gonna take our relationship at a normal pace. Yeah, because we're not confined to this stupid show.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because Zach and Bliss have become... Probably one of the most favourite couples From this series Like people are really Really rooting for them Especially after Did you after see reunion. the
2: big picture Of the owls in their house? Oh stop I can't Look I felt bad for them Because I would hate a ca- I'd hate to have camera crew Around my house open, <laughs> uh, So Well I wrote down the quote Which was uh, There was somebody Talking about their chairs Oh these chairs Are giving me life Look at my cool shelf It was all a bit desperate But I was like Do you know If I had just moved in somewhere yeah. well, I wouldn't know What to say about my house either But well, that They had a, the pig like a big the owls blown yeah. grown up on the wall of two owls and he yeah. serenaded her with this AI-generated song. <laughs> <laughs> not Chat <Chachi> GBT coming <laughs> through for the win. It was honestly, I was I was like, you know, don't be cynical keen. And I was real I just had to laugh and go, This isn't these are not my we don't we don't say love languages mean that no, no,
1: yeah, yeah. The tours. I just think that they Netflix demands so much buy-in to these couples and I'm like mm. no because at least with other shows like again Married at First is a really natural comparison there is a real understanding that this is not quite real until the end like mm-hmm. and at the end then it's like let's see but there's also an understanding that once the show is over that it's not a done deal like this isn't forever like we yeah. hope and all this kind of stuff if they've kind of committed we hope but like it's not a done deal whereas for some reason, Netflix tries to convince us that Love is Blind is. Like, that's it. That they found their person. That's it. That's done. Like, let's wrap. And it's like, what? Like, no, half of these people are not going to even be talking to each other in a year's time. Like, what? Like, it just is a frustrating watch for me. I don't ever feel like I get really good quality drama or like really romantic moments or decent hosts who can ask decent questions. I just find it stressful, to be honest. And I'm I'm glad it's over for another year. How did you feel um, about Irina
2: on her apology brigade?
1: I mean, it was it was bullshit. It was it was all a pre-prepared line. I mean, everything that Vanessa or Nick would mention outside of what she had delivered in her speech, she was like, oh, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to speak on that. And it's like literally referring to her notes being like, oh, yeah, shit, that was another thing that I wanted to cover. Mm. It just felt so disingenuous. And I just as much as I have so much sympathy for her and Micah and other people who have absolutely faced the rap of social media. Like, it's mm. brutal. I'm also like, you did what you did. And if you come on and take real accountability, grand, but like, it just didn't feel very real. I don't know. And then it's like, can you call bullshit on it? Like, maybe it felt more performative because that's what she needed to do to like keep herself together yeah. or like keep it. So I don't know. I just. It, I, it kind I, of
2: reminded me of, 2000s reality tv yeah like katie what's her name UK
1: Piper no Casey um I'm glad we
2: can, I can, yeah I can't like, I don't I didn't hear it because I was talking about it, but I actually don't want to hear her name again but you know what we're talking <laughs> about The Apprentice and you know then reality yeah. TV an awful hateful Tory uh and then like Omarosa in the US Apprentice like these bad girls of reality TV and like yeah. when Vanessa was like even Irina will be here that was like pearl clutching from the crowd I was like yeah all oh, right so it's like we're back to this now again yeah. these women the true villain of the, re- the reunion for me was Paul.
1: So this was also another discussion about kind of Vanessa and her quote unquote bias, because during the show's run, Paul was very well liked. Micah mm. was actually the one that people were kind of more against. She had a horrible friend who was horrible to Paul and horrible to her, like about the Shelby. situation. Shelby, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I took my notes. You, you got your notes. <laughs> And she, yeah, and people really rallied behind Paul all the way through. Micah was seen as like the real villain of the series, even above Arena. Like people were like really against her. Um, and then the reunion came and it, se- it seemed as if Vanessa sided with Micah a little bit and just kind of drilled Paul a little bit more. And usually I like that in a reunion. Usually I like that kind of let's flip it and like, let's try and actually get, like, let's not just put the person who is clearly in the wrong here, like on, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. On absolute blast. Like, let's try and kind of get some more nuance to the situation. But it felt like she, she hadn't a bar of Paul, that she was just like, no, I don't think what he did is right. So therefore I'm giving Micah a pass. Um, I just wish he had vocalized his feelings a little bit better. I know the big thing was him saying that he didn't feel like Micah would make a good, not a good mother, but he couldn't see her being a mother um and spoke a lot about how she wasn't nurturing and i think what he was trying to say was i can't see myself having children with her and th- that i think was like yeah it was bad but it was an okay thing to feel about a relationship everything he said was like this messy character attack like just like anti-feminist like just gross Rambling, and it was like it was awful to watch.
2: Yeah, I was fuming. I just was like, "How dare somebody weaponize nurturing against women?" Like it's so difficult. Like it feeds back to the thing, which is like, "Oh, she, you know, she had some casual sex and she twerked on a table. She's (laughs) not fit to be a mother." It's like, no, you know, mothers can do anything that non-mothers can do because, and they still be a good mother. It was. And then like his, I've realized it's not because she can't be a good mother. I just never gave her the space to. And I was like, no, that's bullshit. The correct answer to this is I don't think we're we're compatible parents. That's your only get out of jail. And you blew it.
1: That's it. And yeah, and that it almost felt like he was trying to say something with good intent with that comment of, you know, maybe I didn't support her enough. And it was just like, I get that you think that that is, but that is not the compliment you think that is. That is not the gentlemanly thing that you think you've said. What you've actually said is something like quite sexist and quite patronizing to her as her own person. Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah, it was... I I didn't hate Micah as much as many viewers did. Like, Mm -hmm. I really don't get that invested in Love is Blind to, like, hate people or, like, really dislike them. Yeah, I think she had a few really poor moments, but I think she handled herself really well at the reunion. Like, for Mm -hmm. someone who was going in there, a villain, I think she handled it really well.
2: Yeah, I didn't get the villain vibes off her, based on the edit I saw, just in this episode, so.
1: There you go. Um, Let's move on to... Something that has been, should have been dominating my social media feed for the last couple of weeks and just has not been and what that might mean and all the conversations that are going on around it. Coachella, is it mm-hmm. entering its flop era? Oh. I ask you, Hean. What <laughs> do you think?
2: Um. Well, this year is definitely a flop. Poor Frank Ocean. Flop. I have a picture of him oh. right over my laptop when I'm talking to you right here. love Frank Ocean. Um. But I get, I I think it's it, it it's just you know things. Fashion is transitory, you know. We agree, things come in and out yeah. of fashion. I remember being in school and yeah, you know, I used to love Nick Grimshaw and he was over at Coachella hanging yeah. out, with Katy Perry, and I was like, oh, I wish I could do yeah. that. Like so, you know, like that's the the. Festival I want to go to And then I went to my J1 And I was like Basically asking everyone Have you been to Coachella? Have you been to Coachella? And they were like Well actually there's lots of festivals There's like Bonnaroo And I was like No <laughs> I want to go to Coachella <laughs> Don't
1: care Don't care
2: But yeah now Like oh, like the I think the last good thing That comes out Came out of Coachella Is that Beyonce performance Ever since then, yeah. The Ariana Grande performance I think was There was like Overshadowed by it. Money from Chick-fil-A Or something went to yeah. Pay for it You just have these under, like, you just know of Leonardo DiCaprio picking up his next 19-year-old girlfriend. It's like, you know, it's just become influencer con on steroids. And it's now kind of like pastiche and twee and just not it.
1: Yeah, I really think um, you're right about, I think Homecoming, Beyonce headliner was like the pinnacle of its mm-hmm. influence. I remember watching, and there was a string of Irish influencers at it that year. And I remember being glued to their stories, which I'm not normally like I am not a person to like follow mm. people like that in a way. But it was like I anything they put up, I want to see because I knew they were going to be on say I knew they were like you know gung ho on seeing it and being as close mm-hmm. to the stage. And it was like this real anticipation. And even still I watch Homecoming on Netflix like when I'm getting ready for a night out or oh, yeah. I just need to feel like energized, like it's literally one of the most amazing live performances for that kind of energy boost. Um, but I think since then, yeah, it's just kind of lost. And I think that in tandem with like TikTok and this new generation of influencer and what it means to be an influencer and the the value that they have and the and the kind of mm-hmm. currency that that moves in that space is just different. And I think. Coachella is a really big victim of that because it really leaned on that environment. It really leaned on that kind of ecosystem of influencer culture to kind of bolster what was in itself a really impressive music festival with a really impressive lineup musically, but also to create this like pop culture moment. It really leveraged like influencer culture. And I think because that has changed so much, it's you're seeing Coachella now kind of not be this like lust worthy because I remember the years yeah like people like Nick Grimshaw people like Rita Ora like all these like English stars going over and like Mm -hmm. hanging out with like a like A-list Hollywood royalty in like really chic festival outfits like making such effort for the looks and it was like all part of the experience I mean now you're seeing celebrities turn up in like literally jeans and like denim jackets and I'm like I'm happy for you, but, like, people are not arsed. People mm. are not arsed.
2: But I, I think, like, I think what you're getting at there is kind of interesting. It's, it's, you know, influencers were a revolution to the advertising space when they came through and with the dawn of Instagram. And you're kind of seeing that disruption again with TikTok. I mean, I, yeah. I've... I have friends with like Gen Z siblings and stuff who say things like, you know, Gen Z people don't want one person to have all the fame. They want one person to be good at this and that's it. You know, if we know you for doing lip syncs to The Simpsons, we don't want you selling makeup. Like, you Mm. know, that seems to be the mentality is stick to your lane and stop stop trying to diversify your brand. And I think, you know, this could be a, a casualty of it, which is like the kids don't really care About this Instagram festival anymore The other thing is the lineup I was trying to find the Friday I couldn't see who the Friday headliner was Blackpink I think do have a a lot of Gen Z followers Frank Ocean's last album was in 2016 Which is seven years ago So anyone who's like 14, 15, 16 on TikTok Was nine max when that came out Um, And like the other sort of big name people were excited for Was Jay Paul who released like his music was released on blogs. That is, you know, it gives you a timestamp of like when he was popular. And for people who are in the 30s or late 20s or, you know, that's the sort of music that they have nostalgia for and they're excited for and they're the people maybe that are going to Coachella but like yeah. you'd want some sort of like TikTok rapper that like, you know, mm. remember was like Lizzie McAlpin or whatever like should be headlining or something for those kids to, to want to go to it. Uh, yeah. Those
1: damn ceilings kids. Yeah. <laughs>
2: you know, someone like that who's kind of blow up or like, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't, TikTok's probably the wrong person to talk about this but it's like even their lineup was geared towards mm. a certain audience as well. So, and it's yeah. hard,
1: right? Because like, not not Lizzie McCaplan, because obviously she is touring, but like mm. these kind of TikTok artists who, you know, have this moment of like virality on TikTok mm. or on various platforms, with either it be, you know, an audio clip like ceilings, that hook that everyone was out running to, mm-hmm. or whether it be like a full song, or whether it be a trend, a dance trend or something, they have this moment of virality and that doesn't necessarily always translate to a live touring act. It doesn't necessarily translate to someone who can a put on like a full hour long, two hour long set, because they might not even have that amount of music, but b that the audience is also so different. Like conversion in those audiences is so different to what it was Mm -hmm. like with us, with millennials. I mean, we were, it was like, we finally had a gateway to all of this stuff and you had someone telling you that, you know, this was you should get this. And it was like a, a seal of approval for you to say, okay, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna go here. I'm gonna do this experience, whatever. Mm-hmm. That access is so much broader now. It's so much more, you know, up to date. It's and this culture of like de-influencing and all that, like translating a TikTok viral song into a sellout tour or a sellout Coachella headliner set is like it's a different, it's a different thing. And I feel like can Coachella adapt to become what it was for millennials in the kind of 2012 to like 2016, 17 Mm. for Gen Z's. I just don't know. And I mean, as much as Frank Ocean, like you said, mightn't be someone who many Gen Z ticket holders would be aware of the, the absolute flop of his performance will be something that they remember, even if he has very little relevance to them. Um, Just a little bit of context for anyone who has been in a cave the last week. Uh, Frank Ocean was headlining both weekends of Coachella. He took to the main stage on the first weekend an hour late. He is said to have performed mostly um, the entire concert, sitting down with his back to the audience. Uh, Various audience members pointed out on Twitter that he had been lip syncing, apparently, at certain points in his set, which didn't feature some of his most popular songs. Um, And it also was abruptly ended at the end due to the curfew restrictions in the area, which are rack up like hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines for Coachella every year for going over by like 10, 15 minutes. I think his set went over by like 25 minutes and it cost them like $120,000 or something to pay yeah. those fines. Um But... Yeah, so that was kind of last weekend. Then this week, we heard that he had pulled out of the second weekend due to, quote unquote, sustaining a leg injury on festival grounds in the week leading up to the weekend uh, one. Frank Ocean was unable to perform. The attended show on weekend one but was still intent on performing. And in 72 hours, the show was reworked out of necessity. He has since pulled out of weekend two. Um, So this was obviously a huge story to come out of the first weekend. Um, and had a lot of people talking. There was loads of videos of people rushing through the gates as they opened to get kind of front row from Frank Ocean, loads of videos of people leaving prematurely as a fan. What did you make of what you saw?
2: Um, of the people or of the performance?
1: Of the performance and the fallout from it. Did you think it was fair? Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I think like Frank Ocean is, is, is. It's a critical darling. He's not known for his live performances. He rarely performs live. He has a good voice, but like how well does it perform to a live performance? I watched bits of it. Um, You know, I've, I kind of personally feel, and this is a kind of a separate conversation, the best thing about a concert is being surrounded by people who love the music you do. And I wonder like, even if, the person is shit. Like you're all you're singing your favorite songs to the other people around you. But one thing that I think he did that would really piss audiences off is that he didn't sing the studio versions. He like ad libbed and changed like the format of the song. So like you think it's a chorus and then he just ends it and like that would piss you off. So I can totally understand why being there I'd be annoyed and I probably was like, well, look, I saw him. Grand. I can take that off the list. Um, but I'm also not surprised. Yeah, I don't think that's his his thing. He seems to have done it because. He recently lost um his brother in a car accident, I think, if I can remember. And his brother and him really loved Coachella. And he I, it kind of got the vibes. He was doing this for his brother. Like his brother would find it really cool. He was headlining Coachella. and in the first night, he he kind of does a little speech about his brother and how much his brother would find this was cool. And I mean, the whole crowd, the forty whole 40,000 people or wherever many people were there were like, you could hear a pin drop. And that yeah. goes to show kind of the reverence people had. But yeah, I mean, you know, when you're up against the same, when you're in the same slot as Beyonce, you know, you've got big boots to yeah. fill. And yeah. I'm not surprised he didn't do the second week because he probably just spent the whole week looking at all the hatred and disappointment and think pieces that they had in his performance. And he was like, fuck, this is why I don't do this. I'm not doing Yeah, that.
1: yeah, I think, and I think it it started an interesting conversation during the week about, you know, um, there was a lot of people who came out in support of him. I know Justin Bieber released a statement mm. talking about how impressed he was by the artistry of the set. There were other kind of fairly notable um celebrities who came out in support of him and I just it made me think of and not just me I know loads of people have had this moment and it was very much discussed on on my Twitter timeline anyway about the comparison to Rihanna's Super Bowl performance and the criticism of you know her not putting on a quote-unquote show like you know the costuming was boring she wasn't dancing enough she wasn't mm-hmm. this that and the other enough and I just think it was like so jarringly obvious what that was about like it just felt like such an unfair standard for to be set for her just based on her gender, because like let's call a spade a spade, that's what it was about. Like that kind of demand is never put on male performers. And mm-hmm. like this is a perfect example. I mean, this will die down for him. But if Rihanna got up and did something like this for the Super Bowl, that'd be it. Like that would literally be it for her. Like it's just interesting. How quickly people were to jump in. People of kind of note to jump in and be like, "This is his artistry. This is him as a performer. He's not a live performer. That's not his thing." Mm-hmm. Like, and that's a good explanation for why maybe this was the way it was. But also, why was that not also used for Rihanna? Like this idea that like, <clears throat> she's at a different point in her life, she's not the performer she used to be. She mm-hmm. wants to do things like this. She's low key, like all that stuff. I thought that was really an interesting difference. The I, I think it is
2: interesting. The I the, my counterpoint to that would be. When you have a headlines lot, you can do it whichever way you want to do. Which I suppose is your point. Why are people annoyed at Frank Ocean? But I think with the Super Bowl or Super Bowl, for me anyway, as a as a as a raging fag, I <laughs> want to see big dance numbers, and I'm disappointed if I don't get it from Rihanna, and I'm disappointed if I don't get it from Dr. Dre. Like I'm just disappointed if I don't get it, yeah, regardless yeah. of who it is from. Um, but whereas I like, I think that's the gig. And if you're, yeah. if you're doing the gig, I think you play ball. When you're headlining Coachella, you can. Was that <laughs> was that a sports fun? Was that a sports fun? No way. <Not> unintentionally. <laughs> um, so no, I get like, what you're saying. Coachella yeah.
1: is more your time to do a bit what you will. More of, Super Bowl is kind of a blank kind of a an expected type of performance, I guess. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I think also like I mean for me the style of Coachella used to be a huge. Mm-hmm. draw like inst- like that I mean for me Instagram has always been kind of that's where I kind of started was like that era of like Coachella influence like floral crowns and all of the vice grips that they had on mm. us like that has also kind of dissipated like I just don't see Coachella being this like lustworthy worthy thing like I remember years ago waiting for like I don't know someone like Variety or someone to start posting like the celebrity pictures of who was there and what they were wearing mm-hmm. and who they were going to see and like Honestly, I literally didn't even know half people that were performing until like TikTok forced it down my neck. And I was like, oh, OK, Grand." there. I didn't even realize it was on this weekend. OK, fine. Like, whatever. Yeah. It's just not the same buzz.
2: But also Coachella has never innovated in its style. Like mm. you go to any festival in the country and there's, and there's people in Flower, flower crowns, Like Flower Quarants, like its influence has influenced every festival in the world. Yeah. But it it never moved the gauge to be like, oh, this new style that everyone's wearing in Coachella is, you know, dressing like a gas casket or something. Like, I don't know, something else. You know, it just was like, we've invented the fire clown and that's yeah. it. We've done our part. So yeah. like it, you know, they didn't manage to reinvent the wheel there.
1: Yeah. Um, someone who is having cultural reference beyond what I ever thought possible. Drew Barrymore. This is not so much of like a news headline as more of a discussion piece on her and her sudden like constant virality thanks to her show. These constant clips of her having these deep heart to hearts while sat on the floor with various A-list celebrities about Mm -hmm. really, really traumatic, deep stuff and how she is just... Kind of cemented herself as like whatever kind of queen of daytime t- title that is up for grabs since Ellen DeGeneres was pushed out the back door. Like it's mad how she has just grown in this space in the last two years.
2: Yeah, I um, I used to watch clips of a show. I end up watching more clips of. Kelly Clarkson's show, who I definitely is worth adding into this mix of conversation, yeah. um, but I think basically their secret sauce is very similar. They are mm. both uh, exuberant, goofy, nurturing, unlike Micah. Um, <laughs> you know, presenters who are kind of like unprofessional. By that, isn't yes. like you know, it's not the stiff upper lip. It isn't like yeah, it's like you know, there's that clip of Kelly Clarkson and Colin Farrell, uh, where they keep talking over each other. And it's just this really kind of crazy energy. Yeah. And as the viewer, you feel like because the host is as famous as the guest, you feel like you're kind of backstage, you kind of like you're privy to these conversations that you wouldn't normally hear. And like, it's not like Graham Norton, who's there asking the questions, getting the stories of the guests, you're getting a bit of Drew. You're getting a bit of Hugh Grant, you're getting kind of double, double anecdote for your money. And I I think that's really what makes it so compelling.
1: Yeah. And I think, again, not to link everything to TikTok, but I think, again, like, you know, TikTok being a platform that is like so about kind of casual filming and it's not Mm. uber professional and brand ads are not welcome on the platform and it's everyone can be whatever. I think this style of daytime TV is quite similar in that lame in that it's like you said it's not they're not super professional they're not super slick at hosting they're not super slick interviewers by the kind of classic sense mm. but instead they use their status in the community that both them and the guests are a part of to put that person at ease and like you say yeah it just always feels like you're listening in on like secrets being spilled and I mean Drew has gotten some incredible moments on her show specifically in the last kind of 6 to 8 months um the show launched in September 2020 so it's been on the air now for about two and a half years mm-hmm. and i mean she has just continued to pull in high profile guests after high profile guest and had these really intimate moments on the show i mean the the interview with Brooke Shields went viral everywhere in the last couple of weeks um when they spoke about just like the abuses of the movie industry and how them as young girls and children working in that space before me too. And before all of that mm-hmm. stuff, what that was like, what, you know, powers were at play and what powers did they feel like they didn't have? And I just think that kind of interview, I mean, Brooke Shields was doing press at the time for her um, for her documentary movie and or her book, sorry. And
2: but both, I think, they, came at the same, they both come around at the same time, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah. But like she would not have had that conversation in that way with that much honesty and that much like mm. just darkness with anybody else than someone like Drew who could just be, like sit on the floor with her and totally empathize with what her experience was because it was also quite similar to what Drew apparently experienced. It's just wild to watch it when you think of like, Even just Ellen Generous, like the predecessor just before, a different vibe entirely.
2: Yeah, and you know, I saw similar with Jeanette McCurdy. I think there's a very similar uh, balance there, where Drew seems to be learning about herself in front of you. And look, you know, she could just be recreating what she's learned from reading the book, or blah blah blah. Which you know, she does. You know, at the end of the day, she is an actress, and she can sell her role as this fawning. Falling tv host and i think what uh, drew does really well is because she's well the clips that i see of her tend to be more with actors famous actors mm-hmm. and i think because she's an actor she does a great job of of when it gets kind of inside baseball she goes and by the way audience you know when we do a shoot it's like this and like this but when you were there it blah, 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 and like yeah you know it's 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 broken down easy for you and you can follow and and you kind of you also respect her opinion as an actor who's been there who's been a producer who's seen it all more than you might do graham norton who's kind of just more of a more of a media guy yeah i think i don't necessarily think tiktok is the reason this is successful i think this is just more a general move away from chat converse tv to it being more compassionate I think you get with Kelly and with Drew a more compassionate interview yeah. it seems to be kind of I don't want to say pseudo psychology but like there is a lot of sort of mantras in it and I don't even say that's a bad thing about it it's like they're going in there to discuss like how you know how they lived their life and it's a very RuPaul style of interviewing it's it's, it's sort of like talk to me about you know what motivates you and yeah. therapy and stuff like that it's kind of more maybe Oprah and I Ellen would would Ellen is kind of more in the style of the late night shows, the The Jimmys, yeah. which is kind of like pranks. And I was watching Kelly um <clears throat> Kelly. Ferguson does a game which is named that intro but you have to sing the intro and there's that yes. clip of Anne Hathaway who's sung since you've been gone before Kelly um and then I watched Taylor Swift play basically the same game with Jimmy Fallon yeah Jimmy Fallon set it up so that he would get shake it off before Taylor and I was like that's basically it's the same joke mm. but when one of them Kelly is the host makes herself the victim and then the other one Jimmy makes the guest the victim yeah and I think that's a perfect example of the evolution of the chat show format and that's yeah. full of compassion for the guest and I think that opens up and gets more gold out of them
1: yeah and i mean i think if you think about it and we've discussed that on this podcast quite a few times before about like paparazzi <coughs> culture and like pop culture media in like the 2010s versus now and how there was a real narrative of you know let's drag those people down to prove that they're just like mm. us. And that was, that was the mentality. And yeah, like these, these talk shows were like that. I mean, we've all seen the clips of Ellen DeGeneres grilling Taylor Swift on what guy she would like to be with. And Taylor Swift is clearly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, but it was like, you know, inviting the audience into laugh at the celebrity to even the playing field. Whereas your Drew Barrymore's and your Kelly Clarkson's, they feel a little bit more like, you know, we don't have to bring this person down to feel like they're like us. This is why they're like us, and it doesn't have to be at the expense of their, you know, their pride or whatever. They can just choose to let us in if the invite is coming from the right place. And I think they've just really, they've really nailed it. I mean, even the silly games. I know Kelly does quite a few mm-hmm. of those like musical games, which I just find tedious on the late night stuff, like the the karaoke karaoke's and the. uh I know Jimmy Jimmy Fallon does qu- like twenty thousand of them because he yeah. just loves. Now I didn't.
2: My YouTube rabbit hole did end me to a mixed state mashup between Kelly Clarkson and Ariana Grande doing like pop diva classics, and by the end of it, I was yeah. crying.
1: Yes, they're <laughs> no, but like they're great, and Kelly Oki is great. Yes, the the musical intros. I know she did one with Niall Horan recently, which was mm-hmm. amazing. Like again, it just feels so much more natural and less cringe because she is a respected and critically acclaimed artist that is worthy of singing with like yeah. some of the biggest musical talent of, you know, 2023. And it just reads so much more authentic than any of that other like nonsense.
2: Yeah. Okay. I've got three things to say. I don't know which one I want to say first. <laughs> On the first point, I think, I think they are ma- like, so instead of Ellen belittling the person to make them feel like us, I think what Kelly and Drew were doing is, they're approaching the guest with the same sort of fan girly attitudes that we would have. So they are like representing us plebs towards <laughs> this, like Drew Braymore is always such big doe-eyed yeah. excitement towards Hugh Grant or Ben Affleck or like throws his head back. Oh, Jennifer Lopez, she's such a goddess. Like, yeah. That's how we get access to them, and then that like that just arms the guest, and you kind of feel like you're having almost like a meet and greet via Drew Barrymore, which I think is is her magic. The late night thing uh, with uh, did you mention Kelly Clarkson and Niall Horan? Did you see the clip recently where J- when Niall Horan told James Corden he's been saying his name wrong?
1: I did see this Yeah 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 And
2: James Corden doubles down And says no I haven't You've got your name wrong Which I just was like I actually didn't believe I I was like I don't know why people Hate James Corden so much Like I, you know He's not great But I don't hate him After I saw that clip 14 years too late I'm on board
1: I know I legit Could do a whole True crime series On why There are many reasons That I hate James Corden And it's I want to hear it I want to hear it You and Jenny
2: Claffey Get together Bedroom that shit
1: I'm pretty sure I've said this on here before, but he did an interview when he moved over to the U S first with Stephen Colbert on his late night talk show. Um, And I think he was about a year into the late, late show with James Gordon and Stephen Colbert asked him on the podcast or on the, on his chat show, you know, you've obviously been an American now for a year. Like, do you think of yourself as more of an American or more of a British person? Stupid question, right? Like a stupid question. Mm -hmm. This is like a 36 year old man who has grown up and lived in the UK his whole life. His, 35 most of his years, career,
2: one year most, in the US.
1: Yeah. Most of his career has been based on creating incredibly English, British characters and for incredibly British shows. And like, he has really leaned into that. Like he has really leaned into that. Like mm. I'm an English geezer vibe. And James Corden comes back and he says oh, I just think of myself as a citizen of the world, really. Like, I just don't see borders and countries. I just, and I just was like, no, no, absolutely not. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You have sold us your narrative of being a proud English man your whole career, and that is fine. Don't now go to the US and be like, like, we're all one, like, kumbaya. Like, yeah. there's no bother. I was just like, no. If I
2: don't take it from people who've been backpacking in Thailand with a bindi and some parachute pants, I'm not taking it from you. No. Totally.
1: No, it was like that guy who went viral on TikTok, the other Irish guy who was like, it was like, Where are you from? And he was like, Oh, I should say Ireland, but I'm I'm really this. Oh, I yeah. need to dig up that clip. It was fucking <laughs> jokes. But yeah, the other so,
2: thing I wanted to say to on Kelly though is yeah, I think her career is so interesting because she rises to fame in American Idol, by all yep. accounts. She was clearly the winner, but she was such like a normal day girl. And she was able to sing other people's songs with such like versatility. Yeah. She has her own career. She gets fucked over by the industry. She, you know, gets forced to work with Dr. Luke. She doesn't want to blah, 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 blah. She now is going through a divorce. And how she's claiming back her her A-star status is again by singing other people's songs in front of America. And I think that's a really interesting symmetry to her career.
1: Yeah, yeah. 100% 100% and I think even seeing her like I'm a I'm a sucker for vo- for the voice interview or the voice auditions I mm. love oh my god I love it so much If I've had a bad day I'm like I need to watch some voice knockout rounds <laughs> like I just need it and she's so brilliant on that as well mm-hmm. just such an empathetic person like really coming at it from like I have experienced this I've experienced the highs and the really bad lows and like here's what we're gonna do and I just and she's just Bunny and Drew is the same mm-hmm. um, and it's just wild to watch them because I remember when their shows were announced I think Kelly was announced like six months before Drew and then Drew and I was like Jesus this has got to wash out as quickly as half of these kind of mm. you know the Chris Jenner show and all these chat shows that pop up for a season and disappear but these two seem to be really I mean, hanging on in there. I mean, I'm seeing kind of Jennifer Hudson and clips from her show and a few others. And I'm like, oh, I leave it. or t- I'm not arsed. This yeah. stuff seems to be really like hitting the right nail on the right And head. I don't know,
2: like, I don't know the American TV system well enough to know, are they on the same time? Are they on the same channel? Are they competing? What networks, like, is yeah. Wendy Williams Still on I think she is Watch like, No she's gone remember. Is she She's gone yeah, for good Yeah
1: she's gone She's gone for good Yeah I remember was...
2: watching Michelle Visage And Leah Remini Like host her show When yes. she was off But she's gone for good now Is she okay I'm not sure I wasn't sure
1: Yeah she's gone for good now It's Sherry You're one who used to be on um The View Sherry Shepard Is that her name Okay she's, she's taken over It's very similar There's quite a lot of the Like hot topics type Segments As far yeah. as I know Still there Um. But yeah, I mean, I don't think it's having the same kind of cultural impact that the Wendy yeah. Williams show had in its kind of heyday. Um, but yeah, it just seems like, pretend, And like, I mean, again, it's there seems to be endless room for endless chat shows hosted by men, but there's that space is always a little bit smaller when it's women. So I think when you have two yeah. people who are doing it really well, like Drew Barrymore and Kelly Clarkson, it must make it hard for... Other people in that space to try and grab some of that audience. I'm sure we
2: won't we have a female led talk show now ourselves come September. Is this confirmed? No, but like I mean to
1: say I don't give a fuck (laughs) about who hosts the Late Late Show in Ireland. I honestly you
2: could could care if it's the right person and they do the good, good good job. Like
1: I mean, maybe, yeah, but I just I don't I just don't give a fuck. And like the news websites in Ireland are just Horny to tease every little fucker who has said anything about it on their Twitter in the last ten years, mm. and I'm just like, honestly, I don't care. I don't it's care. Like, it's like the and conversation it. about
2: who's going to be the, the next Bond, you know?
1: Just exhausting, exhausting. I don't care. Like I just don't well, care. I said this
2: on Louise McSherry's podcast. She disagreed with me, but I'm I'm here for Angela Scanlon. I want her to do it.
1: I mean, it seems like it should go to her right. Like, ask me anything is. Proving popular, I think it's just back mm. for another series, um. But I just don't know if they'll give it to someone like Angela Scanlon, who's not like a, you know, a, a pillar of Irish broadcasting. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. but she feels like she would be new and fresh. But I, I guess it must be hard for RTE when they know they have this pressure of like the longest running talk show in the world,
0: yeah,
1: and the legacy that that has, and so many people do kind of, you know, map their mm-hmm. diary around various. Late late specials and toy shows and like Valentine's Day and country mm-hmm. episodes and all this nonsense. So like,
2: it's... And should the two of us would grab would grab an opportunity to go to the late late show. Like, should...
1: I'd, oh yeah, I'd absolutely whore <coughs> myself out as well if they invite me on. I'd be like, oh, it's such an honor. Oh god, <laughs> but I just don't care about all this. <laughs> we go we want to talk quickly about some of the stuff that we've been loving this week i've mentioned it quite a bit i'll just get it out of the way nice and quickly margaret first side australia absolutely hitting the nail on the head again this season there is i believe one week left of the main show and then we have reunions on channel four and it is just perfection frustrating funny stressful cliffhangy, all what you want from like good 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 reality tv and it's one of those shows that just for me it never misses the mark for like drama i'm always gutted when i realize it's only on for like four days a week and i have to wait till monday to see it again just great i know you're not a fan though ian because of previously discussed yes, <laughs>
2: reason. but like do, does the fact you're getting married soon impact your viewing of it I don't think so. I don't think that You you don't go, maybe I'll have that for my wedding. Or like, I guess it's not really about the wedding though, is it? No. So the
1: the first marriage that they have at the start is not legally binding. Okay. So when they, it's more of like a a symbolic ceremony, but it's not legally binding. Okay. It's it's kind of, they don't organize it. So like production organizes it to kind of mirror the couples. Like there's two of the youngest ever participants this year and they're both like 26. So they had like a Gen Z wedding with loads of like, (sighs) Neon lights and like you know, it was in the dark and it was it was just weird. It was like okay, this is what you think. Like yeah, did
2: you you watch um uh, the the Sex and the City spin off and just like that?
1: Oh yeah, Uh, yeah. Do you
2: remember Rock's TikTok? My name is Rock The new kid on the block Like never has anything Been so desperately Off target for Gen Z audience Some oh, those god. 50 year olds Writing that, that Gen Z TikTok It's so
1: poor isn't it It's so transparent <laughs> And you could see it On this as well It was just like Oh you've just gotten a few Like LOL You know neon signs And sh- shoved them up on a wall Or something And yeah. it's like
2: Oh god That video of Rock Is is my voice Is <laughs> my voice YouTube videos When I'm having a bad day I'm like Let's see Rock come out In school a TikTok and then Rose so know the dance for it already. And they do. Yeah, it. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so bad, so bad. But yeah, yeah so, so it's it. not, it's not inspiring like wedding. It's not okay. like, I'm not adding it to my like Pinterest board or whatever. Um, But yeah, those first weddings aren't legally binding. And then they work through the process for like three months. Mm. And then they have what's called like final vows. And then that's when they're like meant to like promise each other that they want to commit. But again, oh, so like
2: love is blind, they might not do it by the end.
1: They might not do it by the end and people leave every week as you move through it. Okay. Um, so they choose every week if they want to stay or if they want to leave and they show it on a little card and then they go home and um, if, if one person in the couple wants to stay, then both of them have to stay for another week and all this kind of stuff. I think it's, the structure of it is far more juicy than the structure of love is blind. I think it makes way more sense. It has mm. way more anticipation. It has way more, you know, risk and reward um And this series has just been.
2: So I mean, now that you've explained the format to me a bit more, I'm not as against it because I'm like, okay, well, they haven't got married. And it just is yeah. like, they don't have to get married. It's three months. So.
1: And they go every, they, like, there's no host. They go every week to a commitment ceremony where they speak to relationship experts now. Mm. The relationship experts are definitely also TV producers, but they are relationship experts as well. So they do give them like lots of like tools and feedback, and you know sometimes you see couples in like a really bad spot, and then they go in and they're they're like a likable couple, but they're really not working. They have a session with the the experts, and then they really work on it the next week, and then they're like, it worked. We're over this like thing, and we've and then sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they're like, we just couldn't get past it. It's not right. So we're going to leave. I think you would enjoy it a lot more than Love Is Blind because Love Is Blind seems a little bit more like. Oh, fuck them. Imp- you know, fuck the practicalities. Let's just go for it. It makes great yeah. telly. Married First Sight a little bit more acknowledges the fact that like, this is kind of mad. Not everyone's going to agree with this. Like, it's definitely unconventional. Some of it's definitely for entertainment and not for relationship building. But like, let's just all. I think it's.
2: Yeah. a one. No, I, I just I find myself having. And I guess now I'm in my 30s. It's the marriage time of my life. I, I do find. The conversations about it are kind of just difficult. I don't know if it's because, like I said, about queers and our our accessibility to marriage or if I'm just cynical or whatever. But it's just, you know, like people talk, talk about it as if it's more important than just going out for 10 years. Like, yeah, and, and I see the hold that it has on the women in my life. And I'm like, you know. And I and like how it can one person's success can make someone else feel bad. When's my time? Blah, 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 blah. And I just I'm like, I wish I could shake everybody out of it and just yeah. go, if you want to get married for you and celebrate your relationship or get some legal stability, do it for you, not because mm-hmm. of all the expectations of society. I guess. Yeah. That's the bit that I struggle whenever it's a marriage-related show, I suppose.
1: Yeah. And I guess the conversation is always that little bit different when you're talking about LGBTQ plus couples versus Hmm. straight couples and all of the stuff that goes along with that. If you're confused as to why that might be, Google it. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think it is. It's just different. I mean, I never thought I wanted to get married Mm-hmm. not for any like really emotional reason I just wasn't really arsed and then I met my partner and I was like actually it could be a thing and then when it happened it's like oh this feels right for me but like I never felt like I had to do it or I should do it or mm-hmm. you know it would be weird if I didn't but like I also know friends who are like you know and people in my life who are like oh well we've been together x many years like I'd be expecting a ring soon and it's like I it just I,
2: works differently for us you know yeah and yeah. you, need to become, you know, the whole thing is set up based on a man and a woman, you know, like when you are either two grooms or two, like, what do you both have best men? Are you not allowed to have bridesmaids? You you, you kind of just feel like you have to reinvent the whole thing by yeah, doing it. Yeah, you're
1: unraveling the whole structure and trying to, which I mean, I personally am finding it lovely because <coughs> because the, the the central point of it is a point of difference because it's two brides. Mm-hmm. Every other part of the tradition can then be we can opt in or opt out like, so we can really decide like yeah. if we want to have any of this stuff, if we want to do it totally our own way, or if we want to take a little bit of that. So I'm kind of liking the freedom that that gives you, that mm-hmm. no one is coming to my wedding expecting it to be A, B, C, D, E. Like it, it's going to be different from, you know, whatever percentage of weddings they've been at the that year, just based on the fact that there are two brides rather than a bride and a groom. Um, yeah. And I'm finding that quite freeing actually Um, and it's quite fun to not feel that kind of like be bound by like you know it has to be perfect and it has to be this that and the other it's like no like
2: yeah yeah I've definitely noticed like I met my boyfriend 11 years I don't get that money when you get married and I think like had we been an opposite sex couple we would have been getting that from year three
1: absolutely (laughs) yeah
2: Well, maybe not, we would have been 23, but like, do you know what I mean? Like, I think the fact that we're one step away from the traditional heteronormative trajectory works in our favor in some regard. Yeah. But yeah, like that there's still, I I think that's probably why I'm also not as connected to it.
1: Yeah. No, I totally know what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like it's your decision, I guess, all the Mm -hmm. time. But yeah, it's, I hate seeing people who like feel the weight of that clock. And it's like, I understand why you do, like it's not Mm -hmm. silly that you do, but I just wish people didn't feel... As bound by that. Um, yeah. Mark, next, week going,
2: next week I'm going on a joint hand Those as well, so that's exciting.
1: Oh, exciting. Let me know how you go. We're thinking oh, about yeah. doing something like that. Thir- 33 so, yeah. people. Please let me know because that's what we're kind of thinking. Yeah. And we're like, is this a disaster waiting to happen? Or could this be literally one of the best crack nights ever?
2: And I don't know what so- you, it's like with you and your fiance, but it's like in this scenario, it's like because, you know, queer women and How lesbians can work It's like all their exes Are going as well
1: (laughs) Oh no We don't have that problem Okay (laughs) I have very few exes So sorry (laughs) Ian before we go You have been loving a show That I finished Two days ago Beef Mm -hmm. on Netflix
2: I haven't finished yet I have two episodes to go I've (gasps) heard all the good stuff About it But I'm yeah I'm really enjoying it the, the world that it creates, the the vulnerability in the characters. If you haven't seen it, I guess it starts with these uh, the road rage incident between Ali Wong and Stephen Yun. Yeah. and their characters and how their, their lives become intertangled. And I mean, it's from the start anyway, it, it seems like you know, they're both sort of on a one way ticket to you know destruction. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100 percent Um but yeah, it's like really artistically done. It shows a real you know, element of vulnerability into their psyche, into their self-hatred, into the pressure mm. that they have on them from their parents, from society. It's a really interesting juxtaposition in which Ali Wong's character being the really rich, successful business lady versus the struggling down on his luck a contractor that Stephen Young plays. She has all the power, which you don't normally see. The woman have all the power and she can, you know, he feels yeah. like he can't do anything. It's just really fresh and new and I'm really enjoying it.
1: Yeah it's really good and it's it's that constant kind of tug of war between the two of them because you get a little bit more context into why the way they are mm-hmm. each episode and then you kind of are siding with one against the other and then you're mm-hmm. siding with and it's kind of that back and forth and you've just passed the point where it, I think it's like episode six it like I didn't realize it was 10 episodes long mm-hmm. and then episode six it kind of took this like really big pivot and I was like oh shit like this is like a whole new space of story that they're mm-hmm. kind of opening up now and then you kind of get into this weird and wild place for like the last few episodes. And um, yeah, I mean, it's brilliant. They're shorter episodes as well, which I think is like a good plug. Yeah. Like they're like 35 minutes long. So you kind of ro- like you race through it if you want to. Um, mm-hmm. It's well, not a super... Oh, I just
2: finished episode eight and I gasped at the end yeah. and I was watching it and something happened. I was like... I
1: <laughs> so, scare at the end. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's great. It's really good. You will not be disappointed. Um, by how it ends, I don't think. Okay. But, but text me and let me know if you it are, because yeah, that would be really interesting. Take. He yeah. <laughs> and Sullivan, first episode, season two. I'm really glad we did this. I've had a good time. I know you don't like half of these shows, but I'm really <laughs> glad that you invested for the sake of this. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much to Keen Sullivan for joining me on this, the first episode of season two of Don't Quote Me. Thank you to you guys for tuning in each and every week. We hope you're back with us for another season. You can find us on social media at don'tquoteme.podcast. You can also find us on all of your favorite podcast apps. So you can listen whenever and wherever you like. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode and all of the latest pop culture news. We'll talk to you then.